We're going to continue focusing this morning on the theme of love, and I have the great privilege today of introducing our guest speaker. When I first met our guest speaker, he was 12 years old, and it's, it's very rare that at 12 years old you really have a passion and a conviction for what you're going to do with your life, right? But I'll never forget uh, being at uh, 243 Cooper, sitting in Tyler's parents' living room, and uh, he came home from a fine arts competition at school that day. And uh, in his Christian school, one of, the, one of the competitions was preaching. And I had never heard of this. I thought, wow, that's so interesting. And Tyler had come home so fired up because he had ripped off like the third of what would be 11 in a row uh, of the preaching wins. He had a record like the New England Patriots do of winning the AFC East. Tyler, they have like a, the plaque actually has his name on it now, I think. But he was so fired up and so passionate, so excited about sharing what, what had happened as he was able to do that and, and share in that, that fine arts competition and preach a sermon. And as I was his youth pastor for many years, I would leave and go on vacation and I would turn over the youth group to him. And as a 15, 16-year-old student, Tyler was preaching the messages for me while I was gone. And over these last four years now, it has been such a joy to be able to not, not only see him as, a, as a, um, a student, not only see him as a little brother in the faith, but to see him as a colleague and a friend and a co-pastor here. So please make him welcome this morning. Tyler, come on. Thank you. What an introduction. I never, uh, I never expected an introduction to reference my preaching competitions in high school. I really hated those competitions. Um, one thing it did help me uh, was hitting within a time limit, unlike some pastors <laughs> that, uh, that we know, that we won't share their names. Uh, that was the one benefit of the, the preaching competitions. My name is Tyler. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor here. It is a joy to be with you this morning. I am uh, pumped up about God's Word today. I'm excited about what He has for us because what a topic, what a topic uh, love is, right? I get to wrap up and kind of put a bow on the four themes of Advent with love and Yesterday, I celebrated, I mean, we celebrated, it wasn't just me, uh, our 10-year anniversary. So, so I am a bit of an expert on love. I'm feeling pretty good about it right now. Um, it's a joke. 10 years ago yesterday, I said, uh, I do, and she said, I do, uh, which is a very good thing, or this introduction would be much different, actually, if she wouldn't have said that. Um, but Nikki, I love you so much. I love you more today than I ever have. Uh, and so thank you for sharing the last 10 years, uh, the best 10 years of my life. I look forward to uh, the next 10 years. And beyond, and beyond. Um, and as I prepared for, for today, I couldn't help but, uh, but just bask in the fact and the crazy thought that, that as much love as I have for my wife, it pales in comparison to, to God's love for me. Um, 
And that's an amazing thought uh, because I love her very much. And I don't just love her very much. I love, we've got two sons over the last 10 years. We have an eight-year-old son named Larkin and a four-year-old son named Sunder. I love them so much. And I was reminded in, in, mentally of a story um, of when we were in England. Uh, actually, not in England. We were traveling Europe. Uh, she'll get mad at me for the details that I missed with this story. But uh, we, were, we, were struck, we were in Europe somewhere, Germany, I think, a non... Careful. Okay. Uh, we, and uh, I remember being, uh, not, not knowing exactly what we were doing in this particular uh, city, and we had parked in a parking garage that was very large, six stories or something like that, and uh, as we were returning to our car after a long day of shopping and eating and who knows what, thrifting, I don't know, um, we returned to the parking garage and we... <laughs> As uh, my wife and I are talking, we have like a, I think he was three at the time, Larkin. He's standing there as well. And we are standing at the bottom of the elevator trying to decide where we parked our car. Ever been there? Nothing we can read was in English. No signs, no nothing. Um, And so we are having a conversation over which floor to go to and where we, we had parked. And all of a sudden... I looked as the elevator's door, doors shut with my kid inside. And, uh, and, you know, no problem as we push the button to open the doors and nothing. We hear the elevator begin to go. And we are in a, a non-English speaking country. Uh, we have no idea what, what we're doing, where we're going. There's a lot of people around. And all of a sudden... As a father, that next gear was engaged. You know that feeling of like, um, <laughs> of like pure uh, focus on only all I want right now in this moment is to have my son back in my arms. Remember that that feeling. So I'm like banging on the buttons. I kick it into gear. I'm running like a wild man up the stairs, right, trying to cut off the next floor. I'm like yelling for him. Maybe you've, maybe you've felt that moment of almost like, almost panic, but you got to keep it under control for a minute. And I'm chasing him for, for this moment. I could care less what anybody else thinks. I'm probably breaking laws. I'm pushing people out of the way. I don't care. Um, I, all I care about is, is holding my son in my arms again. And I'm running up and and. The moment when those elevators, their doors open and my son is there. The moment of relief and the moment I can wrap my arms around him. And he probably looks at me thinking, why are you breathing heavy? And why are you sweating? And why are you crying a little? (laughs) And I just hold him and hug him. Because I love him and my love compels me to do whatever it takes to, to have him in my arms again. Church, this morning I pray that we can experience the reality of Christmas, a father's love for us, and a father chasing us through sending his son. A love that was made real, a love come down for us. What a beautiful 
time of the year for us, a father's love. This morning we are uh, we're going to open up First John, chapter four. I love this passage. As we turn there, I just I want us to be able to experience God's love firsthand. As the, as the calling of our church. But not only then to experience it, I really, there's a second part of that. And, and it's not only an internal experiencing of God's love firsthand come down for us. But then if we have uh, been transformed by God's love, then it shouldn't just stay here. We are to live the love of God without And if there's anybody in the Bible who understood the love of God, uh, I would say that John was one of those men who walked with Christ. He was there. He says that in his writings, the things that we have seen, we write to you. He experienced Jesus firsthand. In 1 John 4, um, verse 7, which we're going to read, John Piper uh, once said, we cannot fathom God's love, but surely John wants us to take a stab at it. So this morning we're going to take a quick stab at the love the Father has for us and how that transforms us to then show that love to the world around us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, we're going to read the, um, the whole passage. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Father, this morning I pray that we will be able to grasp a little bit of the reality of your love. I pray that we will, um, I pray that your spirit will illuminate your word to transform our hearts and our minds, to encourage us, to challenge us, to remind us this Christmas season that you are a Father that loves us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love that's not expressed is arguably not love at all. A love that's not acted upon. And what I mean by that is like... uh, after 10 years of marriage, I've, I've learned a thing, thing or two, okay? One thing I definitely have learned is that thinking about how much I love my wife does very little. Amen, guys? Right? But it's acting upon that love that brings that love to life, that shows her that that. Uh, illuminates that love, that makes my love known. Uh, For example, when I put my phone away and spend quality time with my wife, listening 
and communicating with her, my love for her comes to life. When I purchase her a gift or bring her flowers, any guys out there still need a Christmas gift for their wife? Yeah, me either. wondering. When I get her something that she loves, my, my uh, love for her comes to life. Last night, I made steaks and potatoes for her. And hopefully, my love uh, came to life in that moment. The other day, we watched a two-hour Hallmark Christmas movie. If that's not love, I don't know what love is. And as we dive into this amazing, life-giving passage, we need to remember um, the reasons why John wrote this book. Um, and he wrote it for a few reasons, right? Because there's false teachers that have come, come on, these believers that are saying things, that are mixing them up, that are causing chasms with believers. And, and he writes to them um, because he wants them to understand true doctrine, obedient living, fervent devotion in the midst of kind of this um, questioning of false teachers, In 1 John 1, 4, we see that uh, he was writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Because joy was found in Christ and in nothing else. He says in 1 John 5, 11, he goes on to give another purpose for writing this book. And that was, uh, I write these things so that to, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So part of the reason that John writes this epistle is so that people could know whether or not they had eternal life. If you're sitting there today wondering if you are saved or wondering if, if you are going to go to heaven one day or wondering, listen, God's word makes it clear that you can know that you have eternal life. And the things that John does is he, he kind of puts a mirror in front of your life to see if your life has been transformed by the gospel. If it is, that's evidence of your salvation. This is one of the greatest evidences of a life that's been transformed by the gospel is found in this, this passage. It's a test to know if your faith is genuine. The transforming love of God. Because if the love of God has transformed you on the inside, the love of God will be evident on the outside. In verses 7 and 8, uh, we see the love through John to his, his friends, his, his audience. Beloved, or uh, some trans translations may say dear friend, really divinely loved ones. Those who are loved by God and loved by me, beloved. Let us love one another. This is the main challenge and, and the command of this passage. It's commanded twice in verse 7 and in verse 11. The command is to love one another. 
Now this, this love is, is a different love than what we hear about all around us. This love is not a, uh, a love that gets and receives It's not a love that uses for your own benefit. This is a, a sacrificing love. This is agape love, agapao. There's, there's a few different types of love in God's word. There's an empathetic type of love. There's a friendly type of love. There's a romantic type of love. All these loves are, are used uh, almost interchangeably at times in, in the Bible, but all for different purposes. There's more, many different types of love when we have just one word for love, but this is a love of God. It is a deeper, sacrificing, selfless love that, that, that we see most of the time when it talks about God's love for us. 64 times this word is used in the New Testament, and it's mostly referring to God's love, his unconditional love of the will for us. One of the highest and noblest of love or of types of love. Um, it's, it's definitely different than your love that you would have for the eagles per se. <laughs> Clearly evident. Um, which may wane tonight after the game, Pastor Matt. Um, But wait a minute, Tyler, like, doesn't the world outside of Christ experience love? Don't they have uh, the ability to love? Can't they love each other? And, and this is a tough balance. Because right? I, I believe that um, the love of God is different than what the world experiences as love. Okay, And go with me for a second, but... I believe what the world sees as love and people outside of Christ see as love is but a dim reflection of the love that God has for us. I believe because of God's common grace, I believe that, that everybody longs for and desires to love and be loved. And people may think that they are experiencing the real deal, but in reality... The love of Christ is so much deeper and firm and unconditional that you can only experience it in a true personal relationship with him. Uh, for me, it's kind of like, uh, and I, I think I've given this example before, but the, you can talk about Disney World all you want. You can look at pictures of Disney World you can uh, watch videos online of your friends going to Disney World. You can read up and know exactly the path you want to take to visit the most parks. And you can purchase your tickets and you can get the wristbands and you can wear the t-shirts. And, uh, and you can, at home, here in New York, experience what New York has to say about Disney World. But until you're there, you haven't truly experienced Disney World. That's how I feel with the thought of love. It's but a dim reflection and a shadow of what true love is and what true love can be. This is a selfless love, a love focused not on my wants and my desires and, and, and getting things for me, but on God, 
on others. It's a love that gives, it sacrifices, it comforts, it serves, it understands that life is bigger than me. And I believe that the majority of love that's experienced in the world is not that love. And we have the capability as the image bearers of God to live in relationship. Genesis 1, 26 says we are made in the image of God. And if we bear the image of a creator God who has always been in fellowship in the Trinity, we too can have personal relationships. We too can have the capability and the opportunity to love people because we bear the nature and the reflection of God in our lives. And and the love that John is talking about here is no ordinary love. This is a love God spilled over into our lives. As Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God has been poured out. Literally, it has has been uh, given to the fullness. It has been lavished upon us in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that is given to us. When you are saved, the floodgates were open and the love of God was poured into your heart. And verse 7 says that true salvation will demonstrate itself in love. Why? Because love is from God. John tends to stay away from the how and focuses on the why. Says it there, love is from God. Also says in verse 19, because God loved us first. If you've truly experienced the love of God in your life, you will then be able to extend that love to other people. John's argument then is that love, loving others is a requirement of the gospel as revealed in God himself. The book of 1 John really reiterates the teaching of James that genuine salvation is always accompanied by changed life, by a faith that's, that's lived out. Love for one's brother comes from God. It originates from God. It is evidence of our being born of God. It's not, it's not a virtue we're born with. It's not a learned behavior. It is from God, this passage says. He is the originator and the giver of love. And if God is real in our life, one of the ways we will know that is that he produces love in us. Conversely, in verse 8, we see that someone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And his very nature is love. Uh, Sewed into the fabric of who he is and his being is love. God doesn't uh, act lovingly. He is love. So everything that he does, everything that he is, is love. If God creates, he creates in love. If God rules, he rules in love. If he disciplines, he disciplines in love. If God gives, he gives in love. And if he takes away, he takes away in love. It's the very essence of who God is, is love. John's already told us that God is light earlier. He he already told us that God is righteous. And now he switches to God is love. It's who he is. And the simple but profound statement that God is love is explained by what God did in the next couple of verses. And these verses, to me, are 
a couple of the most beautiful verses in all the, the Bible. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So this love that we speak about, the love of God, it's in his nature that he is love. It was made manifest in us. The word manifest that John uses, used many times throughout Scripture, is to become clearly seen. It is to be evident. It's to become obvious or apparent, plain for everyone. It's to make known or to come to life. God's love came to light, became obvious to everyone in three ways. I'm going to give you those three ways in this passage. Number one, as we see uh, in verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is Christmas. God's love, number one, was made manifest in life. The life of his son. God, in the form of Jesus, veiled himself in human flesh. Stepped down from his rightful place in heaven. Came to earth was wrapped in swaddling clothes, born of a virgin, in, in Bethlehem, in a stable. This isn't how people envisioned it, but this is how it was prophesied. And this, God's word says, was a picture of his love. He wants to prove, because love requires action. And the greatest example of love is this picture, that Christ came to earth, was born in a manger for me and for you. And he didn't just do that uh, uh, because he had no plan or purpose. His life produces in us life. God's love was made known to us through his Son the lights were turned on. Have you ever been, um, have you ever been caving, spelunking, spelunking? <laughs> I like that word. Um, caving scares me, but I have been. And uh, there was a point once in my caving adventures that the, the, um, the main cave guide told us to flip off our lights. And we were in this little stretch of path. And so we, we flipped off our lights. If you've ever turned off your lights in the middle of a cave, it's the darkest place on earth. You literally can't see your hands in front of your face. You have no idea what's around you, and it's kind of scary. I wasn't scared, but other people were. <laughs> and he says, just follow my lead. And so we held the shoulders of the person next to you and behind you, and we shimmied along, and we get to where he says, okay, I want you to sit down. And he lights her all off. You can't see anything. He begins to explain where we are. You are in a, a large, open, beautiful room. It's majestic. All kinds of rock formations have grown. 
It's, it's enormous. There's water. There's sounds. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm trying my best to experience what he's telling me. The majesty of it all. The wonder of it all. The middle of this cave that's completely dark. And I think, man, this, this place is probably really cool. And then all of a sudden he tells us to flick on our lights. And when that light came on, all of a sudden, everything that he had said became reality. And I was able firsthand to experience the grandeur, the, the majesty of a room that was probably as big as this sanctuary. With unbelievable, like, stalactites. <laughs> Just came to mind, you know. Rock formations. But it wasn't till the light came on that I was able to experience what was already there. I just didn't know it firsthand. When Christ came to earth, the lights came on. His love for us has always been there, but now the light has come. The light was there. He was made manifest. John 3.16 talks about this so perfectly for God, so loved the world. The God is a God of all majesty. And then you have the world, the people of all misery. We talked about this a few years ago. And then the two most incredible words in the middle, so loved. The God of all majesty, so loved. The people of all misery, that's us. People who are dead, alienated, far from God, enemies of God. And what did his love compel him to do? He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Because Christ coming to earth, ultimately dying, produces life. He t we know that Jesus talks about this life in, in, throughout John John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me uh, uh, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 10, I came that you may have life and have it more abundant. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11 says. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. When God sent his son into the world, it was an act motivated by love. It was an act designed to bring life. How did Jesus give us life in coming to earth? He gave life through his death. Which brings me to number two. Like God's love, number one, was manifested in life. Number two, uh, we see in verse 10, God's love made manifest in death. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love for us was made manifest in sending his son to be the propitiation for our sin, the sacrifice that turned away God's wrath. And propitiation is a big word, tough to understand. We don't have time to like unpack it completely. But what, what it means is it, it appeased the wrath of God. Some versions may say atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice of the son was the thing that appeased 
God's wrath towards sin. That turned his wrath from anger to love. Christ was the propitiation for Sean 2.2. He is the propitiation for our sin. You, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were declared righteous. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his Son because when Christ uh, went to the cross and shed his blood to cover our sins, he paid your debt once and for all. This is the payment that had to be done. Pastor Craig Groeschel, he said recently, when you understand the magnitude of his suffering and the depths of his love, you wouldn't just casually give him a nod every now and then. You would devote your whole life to following the one who gave his whole life for you. Jesus went through a lot for us. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. When he's in the garden, Father, may this cup pass from me, bleeding, sweat, drops of blood, because of the anxiety and the pressure. Betrayed by one of his twelve Falsely accused, unfairly tried, sentenced to death by crucifixion, stripped naked to be humiliated, beat, spit on until he was unrecognizable as a human. Had a crown of thorns placed on his head, probably one to two inches long. He was forced to carry the crossbeam of his cross probably weighed nearly 100 pounds. He had to carry it 650 yards down a path known as the way of suffering to be crucified in Golgotha. And they took nails about seven inches long and they nailed him to the cross through his hands or wrists, through his feet or ankles. It was an instrument of torture Nothing gets more painful than this. Intended for the worst criminals and the most vile. Jesus did this for us. Literally, the, the term excruciating, ex meaning out of, cruciate means the cross. The term excruciating means out of the cross. The only way for him to breathe was for him to pull himself up with with internal organs likely exposed from the whippings that he endured and the beatings. Extremely weak due to loss of blood, he would pull himself up, gasp for air, and slowly suffocate. And in the midst of this excruciating pain, the worst part, I think, probably for Jesus was that uh, he had become sin and bore our sins on the cross. I can't imagine going through all of that physical beating and then having my father turn his back on me. My God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? But he stayed the course and he stated that it was finished. And to your hands I commit my spirit and he breathed his last. 
He was the sacrificial payment for you. He paid your debt in full. He took your place on the cross. He did that for you, compelled by his love for you. In Jesus' death, we see God's love made manifest among us. He gave up his life so that we could be forgiven, free from sin, and made alive in him. And if you haven't, if you haven't accepted that free gift of salvation, if you haven't put your, your faith and trust in him, understanding that you're a sinner and in need of a savior, I pray that today is your day. And then the third thing, quickly, God's love was made manifest in life. God's love was made manifest in death. And God's love is made manifest in us. Let's read verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The love of God compels us to love one another. It it is the motivating factor that pushes us to do as Christ would do and to reach out and to love other people. And even though Christ, even though the world has, maybe has not seen God, when you practice the transforming love of God, an invisible God becomes a visible to the world around us. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we can understand uh, uh, that we have the capacity to love because we have been given the greatest example of perfect love in Christ. So today, we don't need to ask the question of what does it look like for someone with, uh, for someone um, What does it look like to love someone with the perfect love of God? We don't need to ask that question because it looks like sacrifice. It looks like Jesus coming to earth and giving his life for you. It looks like Christmas. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinless death for you. If if we understood this Christmas season, what the love of God uh, does to us and how it transforms us, I believe, church, that it would change the way we have relationships with other people. It would change, it would transform husband and wife relationships, according to Ephesians 5. It would knit us together in perfect harmony, harmony, uh, according to Colossians 3, 14. It would allow us to endure one another in meekness and lowliness when wronged, Ephesians 4. It would be the force behind positive deeds of edification, Romans 14. If we would, uh, it would help us meet the, the material needs of those who are in need, Luke chapter 10. Today, we're taking a group of people to give 70 presents to kids at, at housing authorities in Cahos and Mechanicville because you have given to, to receive nothing in return. This is the selfless act of God and love of God displayed in, in you a love that wants nothing in return, a love that is sacrificing, that is selfless, a love that is compelled by the love that we've been shown and given in Christ that transforms us and helps us transform other people. God's love compelled him to send his son. Jesus' love compelled Jesus to go to the cross and offer his life. And my question to us today is, what has his love compelled you to do lately?
John doesn't give a lot of hows. He gives the why. This is why we love other people. Because God's love manifested to us. He doesn't say how. That's for us. That's for the Spirit to lead us. It may mean talking to someone. It may mean inviting someone. It may mean sharing with someone. It may mean giving something even when it hurts to give. God's love manifested in life. God's love manifested in death. God's love manifested in us. Dear Lord, help me to look in the mirror today and this week and see how I can share your love to others this Christmas season. Father, help me to grasp the reality of Christmas, the reality of a father chasing us through a son. In the midst of my sin, in the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of my, my uh, turning my back on you, you have chased us down like the father and the prodigal running out to us like a shepherd who has lost a sheep. You are chasing us. And your love has compelled you to give your life for us. May we experience that love today. Father, if there is anyone in here, that has not experienced that love, may today be, to be the day, God. And Father, if there are people in here who have been justified, God, who have turned their life to you, who have invited you into their life, understanding that they are a sinner in need of a Savior and have given their lives to you and are saved, God, praise the Lord for them. But some people in here today, God, need to know, Emmanuel, God is with us. They need your presence right now. God, just like you sent your son to earth, God, you've given us your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for your presence in the lives of families today. Families that need to know that you are there in the midst of their brokenness and loneliness and discouragement. Father, you are present. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for sending your son for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.